talking about American English versus English, <laughs> English. If it's Lego and not Legos, shouldn't it be math and not maths? No. Uh, oh. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Metacast by Navic, the roundtable episode. And today I'm joined by David Amor, CEO of Playmint, and Matt Dion, Senior Product Manager at EA. Hey. Nice hello, hello. Back. I need some more enthusiasm. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't enough? <laughs> never, never enough. It's early morning here in Los Angeles. <laughs> Still waking up. Yeah, it's been it's been a tough week. I hope everyone is good and having fun and is enjoying spring coming about in the UK. We actually have an extended weekend, a four day a four day weekend. So I don't know how's it going with you, David, but it just feels like everyone's trying to cram in all of the meetings exactly. to get things you know, done. I was at GDC and then I had a week in the Caribbean, as I think you know, and then I'm back for a couple of weeks and I'm up at DevConnect in Amsterdam. So I'm trying to squeeze a lot in a very short amount of time. I forgot about the long bank holiday weekend. So yeah, that's uh, squeezed everything. Yeah, sorry, Matt, you're not on this weekend. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Um, it's already quite warm here in Los Angeles for the most part. It was like almost 100 Fahrenheit a uh, few, few is, days ago. So. Uh, what is Fahrenheit? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> just, just specifying for, for you uh, <laughs> folks in the UK. <laughs> um, all right. Well, today we're going to be talking about Ubisoft ending the active development of Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which was surprising news. Maybe not surprising to very knowledgeable people out there that can foresee the future as to why Ubisoft took the chance of introducing NFTs into one of their live games. Um, we're also discussing Epic's raise of $2 billion, a big number, mm-hmm. uh, and their collaboration with LEGO. And also Mini- Miniclip pivoting away from web browser games. We spoke about Miniclip exceeding 4 billion downloads. And yeah, it was very interesting to see this news follow up quickly from their their milestone. So we'll dig into that. And I, I don't know, are you still not keen on showing your excitement for these <laughs> topics? <laughs> I'm just I'm ready for us to plow into the first topic. I got all sorts of thoughts. I think the I think the epic Lego news is is really big. It's two billion dollars. I mean I'm we're getting yeah, ahead of ourselves, huge. I guess, but I can't wait to talk about that. So I'm just reserving my enthusiasm, sorry. Maria. Don't miss, you know. Sorry, sorry. We're on YouTube. Now they can see our enthusiasm in our faces, even if we're not, you know, I'm just, I, it. I'm just waiting for the starting pistol. That's all that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Matt, I hear you quite in low volume. Actually, we're resolving technical issues live. This is this is good topic. Um, I don't know if you can get your microphone. Is this any better? In. It's a little bit better. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Well, keep going. I'll play with it. Uh, So, yeah, before we dive into the first topic about Ubisoft, I want to give a huge congrats to Returnal for winning the Best Game BAFTA Award and also doing a shout out to Forza Horizon 5 for winning the Best British Game Award and unpacking for the EE Game of the Year Award that's voted by the public. I was thinking thinking about Returnal and Housemark and how... 
how they've been around forever and just gradually got better and better. And uh, to the point, you know, they were doing quite small gains back in the 90s. Well, every, I guess everyone was, but now really building up to something that wins Game of the Year uh, at BAFTA, I think is super cool. And part of Sony now, as of last year, right? So, um, you know, I think that they, sometimes I was thinking about Super Stardust, which I think was one of their games that uh, that Sony would use to try and eke out the new features of their hardware, as it was on PlayStation 4. Mm. Feels like they're doing something similar with PlayStation 5. And they just nailed it. So good for that team. Have yeah, you guys well, played Unpacking? Have you tried that one? No, it's on my list, actually. It looks it's, like the sort of game, a meditative game that I play. Yeah, it's it's delightful. It's like really, really simple and um, you know conservative in what it's trying to accomplish. But it's a it's a fun little experience and like really, as you said, it's like a cozy game. You know, really relaxing. What platforms? Well, what platforms is it on? Uh, we played it on Game Pass, Xbox Game Pass. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. good old Game Pass. What what makes it so delightful? I mean, uh, the whole premise of the game is that you're moving, like you're unpacking boxes and moving into a new apartment or room, and they sort of do a bit of story exposition through the room that you're unpacking. And so you have different things that you take out, and then you move through the character's life into different rooms, and you see how some of the items change. You see, like... um, mementos from their partner um and how those change over time and you just get little hints at their story um but it's not full-blown exposition um but the actual um sort of tasks that you're doing just moving things around rotating them getting them into the perfect place it's just very simple and straightforward and like you just kind of turn your brain off Mm -hmm. it's got a gorgeous art style And also, I think that one of the attributes, uh, one of the things that people attribute to the success of Tetris and Candy Crush is it's people like making order out of chaos. And there's something that feels really good. It's like tidying your house feels good once you've done it. It feels good. And I think it sort of taps into that a little bit. Definitely. Interesting. It does feel like I do some deep introspection about life and philosophy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that definitely <laughs> sounds definitely sounds something I I like to play. Try it out. Try it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I was going to say the fourth, uh, the third one with uh, Forza Five by yeah. Playground. Mm-hmm. Was that what? What did that win? Uh, best British game. Okay, yeah, that looks excellent. That's one of the games where when I see YouTube videos of people playing that, it's unclear if it if it's uh, real life or not. I mean, yeah. it's, get, it's that close, right? to me at least. It's really impressive. And I love the art style as well, the bright colors. I uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's Returnal that's going to make me subscribe to the new PlayStation Plus tiers after having churned for about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah, good Although, sort of games there. I'm sure I'm going to be awful at it. But Matt, you mentioned that you wanted to uh, brag about your Elden Ring. No, there's no progression. bragging. There's no bragging. I was just saying we could riff on Elden Ring now that I'm, I'm 80 hours into it or something. Um, it's a great oh, game. That's the flex. It's it. 80 hours in. <laughs> it's yeah. no flex. It's it's really like nothing to brag about. <laughs> this is just what I'm doing after work. I I'm still, dive into I'm, Elden Ring. I'm still stuck with a prisoner on the first boss. 
I'm it's actually a, yeah, having a just... friend come over on the weekend so that he can pass the enemy for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you tried like summoning uh, uh, another player to help you out? I don't have friends. No. No, no, you don't have to have like friends in the game. They're just random people. Oh, no. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. The, well, here. Okay. Here's the thing about about Elden Ring and From Software. They don't. They don't explain anything to you, even like how to play multiplayer. Um, so don't be afraid to Google things. Uh, I do this all the time. Um, but there's a way that you can summon other players into your game to help you with a boss battle. You don't have to be connected on any social service. You don't have to actually be like, okay, add this friend. It's just anyone. Um, and similarly, you can you can help other people by putting your, they call it a summon sign. You put it on the ground. Anyone else can summon you into their game. And mm. it's like no risk for you. You get to sort of preview the boss before you get to them. And if you die, you don't lose anything. Um, but if you win, you like help the other person and you get some amount of runes. And like, it's it's basically like a, it's a no loss scenario for you to help out other players. I had no idea about this. Okay. It changes the game. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I know what I'm doing later on. <laughs> All right. No more Elden Ring talk. No more shame about my progression. I was um, hoping Manu would be here so I could I know. about it, but I know. that's okay. He was going to join us, but unfortunately he's a bit under the weather. So we'll have to save our NPC battle jokes for another <laughs> <Everybody> time. <know. laughs> <laughs> but we're exactly. thinking about you, Manu. <laughs> okay, so Ubisoft. They ended their active development of Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Uh, and I think the game has always somewhat struggled with negative reception from launch. I think the team was very hard trying to improve it and doing updates and just trying to change things around. But I think they never were able to overcome the negative reception. And then Ubisoft decided to try their courts, uh, their digits. I think that's how they call their, their NFTs. And now they've announced that they're stopping updates. Like they're going to continue maintaining the the server so people can continue playing. Uh, what I don't Matt, what what do you think? Do you think it was all planned? They knew they were going to sunset the game at some point and so the risk seemed worth it to try NFTs. Uh maybe. I mean, I imagine um a title of that size and a company of that size they're doing planning that far in advance. Um they may not have known the exact date or quarter that they were going to sunset it, but they had to have seen the financial results and the player counts and you know had some indication that it was going well or not well. I think that's probably one of the reasons they chose that game to test out NFTs was because it was a low risk uh, proposition for them. It's not a huge title in their portfolio. And they felt like maybe they could get away with it. And I think if you look at the numbers, I, I don't have them offhand, but it was like less than 100 NFTs were, were uh, sold or acquired by players. Um, so not exactly mass adoption. Um, so I, I can kind of understand why Ubisoft did it in this title. Um, and to answer your question, I think they had to have known at least partially, this is going to happen. How, how long have the game been out? I mean, when did the game come out? October 2019. Oh, okay. So it's uh, so it was sort of, as you say, Matt, maybe it felt like it was kind of on its way out already. And they were trying something out with NFTs in that. I mean, I don't think it's the NFTs that sank it particularly. I, no. I think it's just a game that was on its way out. Mm -hmm. And uh, like a lot of games are on their way out, at some point they decide that you're 
gonna not gonna continue to live operate it. You just leave the servers mm -hmm. on for a while until people stop showing up or something. Speaking from experience, and granted, my experience comes from the mobile side of the business, but sometimes if you're working on a game that is not sort of the jewel of the portfolio, it's somewhere in the middle, maybe it's going to be sunset. That's a great place for a company to try new things, to try and innovate. So if you have some sort of internal, it doesn't even have to be NFTs, you have some sort of internal initiative, maybe you want to do something risky with data science or try some crazy new game design or, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, a game like that, that isn't, that you're not hanging your financial results on uh, necessarily as an entire company, that's a great place to just try something out and see if it works. Um, so, you know, we can sort of debate the, the merits of how they approached NFTs, but just the idea of testing it in one of their games, this is probably the type of game that you would want to try it out in, right? Like low stakes, you don't expect it to necessarily take off, but if it does, that's great. Well, and also you would think that they learn a lot from this. Yeah, so, I would I mean, hope so. It, I mean, it uh, it didn't go well, but as you said, it not going well in a, a game that's on its way out anyway is a great place to learn that stuff. If you think um, if you think this is going to be important in the future, so I'm sure there's tons of learnings there. And the next time they do this in another game, there's no talk of them not doing it right there. They're still pursuing that course. I'm sure. I think I would think that the next time they do something like this, it will be better executed. I still admire them as a company for for trying something. I think they got a lot right, but uh, the message, you know, the implementation was pretty good, but the messaging was maybe not there. Don't know. Yeah, I know. A hutch is similar. We use. Uh, past title to run experiences, for example, with new tech. So I know it happens quite a lot in mobile. I didn't have this notion that such AAA companies also did that with the, the titles that are going to be sunset. Um, maybe only only started to pay attention now with that kind of detail in, in game dev, really. But I don't know. There was something about me that felt quite impressed knowing that, oh, this was actually calculated in terms of doing this experimentation. And then if it doesn't work out, is that fine? Because the game is going to be sunset anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, they mitigated that risk by trying some new stuff out in a game that was losing its players anyway, by the sounds of things. Mm. One thing that I do, that left me wondering though, is so the players that have the digits, I think the digits haven't been sold that much on marketplaces. I, I think uh, I did see it, but it was like two and a half thousand dollars worth. I mean, yeah. tiny, tiny, tiny. Yeah. So, what does it, what does it mean? Do you think, David, that we're going to see players being able to get a benefit if they own these digits from Breakpoint? Maybe in a future Ubisoft game that will give them something. With those hundred people that bought it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. such a tiny amount of people. <laughs> but I mean, I think uh, that's certainly. If I was Ubisoft, then maybe for PR, apart from anything else, you would say, okay, if you if you bought, if you're one of those hundred people that bought the NFT in, in Breakpoint, then sure, you get to use it in this next game in this way. It gives you some kind of booster pack or something that uh, ought to be fairly easy and sort of demonstrate the way that uh, uh, digital ownership works. Uh, I, would, I would think so. I would hope so. Although, truthfully, it's such a small volume of people that it's... Mm you know, a speck in the scheme of things. It's more of a PR thing probably than a functional thing. Yeah. I, I was thinking, you know, we've seen um, we've seen Zynga, I believe they partnered with Forte for Forte to do the development of Web3 games. And was it Crafton? 
um, that partnered with Solana yeah. recently. Okay. So do you, do you think, uh, Matt, that this might be the path Ubisoft goes down? I know that they've been doing investments in Web3 gaming companies. Do you think they'll partner for a company external to Ubisoft to do the Web3 development like we've seen other companies do? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I suppose that's one possibility. Uh, if I remember correctly, this initiative was done on Tezos, which yes. was mm. meant to be sort of an environmentally friendly blockchain. And that was one of the reasons why they chose it, um, because they were expecting that backlash. I can't say that I've heard of a number of gaming partnerships happening with Tezos. Uh, that just might be that I haven't been exposed to it, but I haven't heard any big news about that. Um, you know, it's it. One, it's possible that they continue down that path. Maybe they felt this didn't go so well, so we'll explore some other alternatives. But um, generally speaking, I kind of get the sense that companies like Ubisoft, like Take Two, you know, Activision, the big big publishers, are going to wait for someone else to figure it out first, and then they'll follow in the steps of the smaller companies that are being a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably correct. Um, I'd say a couple of things to be clear. I mean, uh, you said that the that Zynga are leaning on Forte to do the Web three development. To be clear, you know, Forte offer is a suite of tools like like game developers might use Unity in order to make a three D game. Um, hmm. um, Forte offer a, a set of technology that help you with minting NFTs and, mm -hmm. and marketplaces and uh, all of that kind of stuff. So it's really just a a set of tools that a game maker can use to add blockchain functionality to their game. Uh, which which is how that stuff works. They're not actually building. Forte, best I know, don't actually build any games. Oh, interesting. I thought, I, I'm probably misunderstood then. I, I, I thought Zynga was working with Forte to essentially do X-Dev of the games. But uh, I probably, I'm not in the space, so <laughs> I don't I'm, trust my own understanding. Sure. I mean, they've, they've raised a lot of money, so that's they could do that. But I think that's they're using that money, or at least part of it, to incentivize game makers to use their uh, their blockchain and their set of tools. Mm -hmm. I think that them and Tezos and others, um, Mythical, et cetera, are, are trying to, uh, giving grants to encourage developers to use their tools and their blockchain so that, so that they become the de facto game blockchain. Sort of race on between four or five different blockchains to try and make themselves the de facto uh, blockchain in the same way as Unity and Unreal try and make themselves the de facto engine. Right. Yeah. I, out of curiosity, yeah, David, you're the CEO of uh, of a company that's developing Web three games. Mm -hmm. Do you feel any kind of pressure or all eyes on you from I, I, the big dogs of the industry? I love this term. Um, <laughs> just watching, just watching what you're doing, and do you ever feel the pressure of defining a space and trying to find success? that will eventually be replicated by bigger companies? Uh, I don't feel the pressure. I feel it's uh, I'm incentivized to do it because my intention is to try and establish that. What What is the frame of reference that, you know, Zynga, Take-Two, all of these companies are going to be looking for what is a Web3 game. And in, in a sense, there's a race between all the smaller companies like ours to try and figure out what that is so that we do become the frame of reference for people 
building Web3 games in the future. Just as I use Candy Crush as an example when I was building a free-to-play mobile company, I could say, that's how you do it. Look, they're making all that money and players love it and you know, millions of players. So I think, I don't feel pressure to do that. I mean, that's a, obviously a corporate goal to try and figure that out ahead of other people. Uh, but it, it, it's a, if it's pressure, then it's positive pressure. Interesting. Thanks for sharing. And the other thing I was going to say, just uh, to, something Matt said about Tezos, I don't think you would say that uh, the success of Ubisoft's games on the blockchain had anything to do with the chain that they were using. So I don't think there was, I don't think any part of Tezos malfunctioned, or I think it did exactly what it was supposed to do. So yeah, um, if there were mistakes, then one of them wouldn't have been to use Tezos in my mind. Well, I, yeah, I, I wasn't going so much for the technology itself, but rather mm-hmm. the the community around it. Um, I, oh, you I, know, I'm I'm agreeing with you. I think that yeah. uh, um, that Tezos was actually a pretty smart choice for them. I think uh, partly because it's you know it's a proof of stake chain, so they don't have the environmental concerns. So it's other things I think that cause a problem. Sure, sure. I was looking into Tezos, and it seems that the marketplaces they integrate with are not the most popular ones. So I do wonder if maybe that's a competitive choice as well. I don't I don't know enough. I don't know. <laughs> did did uh, Ubisoft integrate their own marketplaces? I, I don't recall exactly how they implemented it. No, we could go down a rabbit hole talking about bridges and marketplaces <laughs> and yeah. liquidity pools, but I think we need Nico for that. So. I was just about to say, this is definitely, this is going into Nico's crypto corner. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll do a quick segue into a happy topic that's not web-free, which is Epic's raise of $2 billion and a Lego collaboration. Well, not really a segue from web-3 because it's to build a metaverse. Metaverse mm-hmm. is web-3, mm-hmm. is it? It is. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll dive into that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I I thought it was really funny to see the raise being announced. I was thinking that I was going to do an excellent pun about how much of an epic raise this was. Oh, then I was good. going through social media and I saw so many people using the pun. <laughs> um, so, good. <laughs> well, now I'm just referencing it and not actually making it. <laughs> So I, I thought this was really interesting because I found if there's someone out there, like the, these moguls of entertainment that know how to craft products that attract children, uh, young teens, and also adults, like parents being able to play a game or interact with uh, a, a product that they can build with their children. It just, Epic and Lego, it just feels right. There's something about it that makes me really excited to see what, what they're going to develop. And they didn't share too many details, but they did share that a fundamental pillar of the metaverse they're going to build is going to be protecting the well-being of children. And personally, that's something that I've been a little bit concerned about with the concept of the metaverse because you're you're increasing the contact points without supervision uh, between you know children and anonymous users on on the internet so yeah knowing that there's someone out there that is definitely building with the well-being of children in mind and i kind of trust epic and lego to do that just because Mm. of the products that they already have it's it's an incredible partnership i mean for both parties you've got uh lego who you know they're this i mean i love lego every who who doesn't love lego but um nonetheless they're a, a toy company making plastic 
toys in a time when things are going increasingly digital. I think probably Lego kicked themselves for not having invented Minecraft. You know, that's <laughs> it's Lego in a game in a, in, in a sense, and that could have been theirs. That would have been the digital transition that they probably would have hoped for, but that wasn't them, right? And and then subsequently you see Roblox, and and it feels like the digital space for kids is getting away from Lego. And so mm. they need to make a bold move and partner with somebody that can really make the digital transition. They've, I mean, they have some great Lego games, but they're sort of, you know, they're not a substitute for Lego. They're just a, a good implementation of a Lego game, if you see what I mean. And then from Epic's point of view, you can see that Minecraft and Roblox work where you could, Lego is the brand that fits perfectly with that. And it's uh, so well-trusted, Lego. Like, so you would imagine that, Parents would be happy to have their kids join a Lego space. Uh, adults would still be comfortable in a Lego world, you know, because it it feels comfortable, reminds them of their childhood. Um, so I think uh, I'll come on to the money in a minute, but what an amazing partnership. What a great deal. Yeah, um, you took the words right out of my mouth, David. I, like, I think it, it makes a lot of sense for both parties. Um, when you think about the sort of target audience of um, a Fortnite and their competition against Minecraft, against Roblox, as you mentioned. I think Minecraft and Roblox tend to skew a little bit younger. Certainly, Roblox does. And you know, to the point around safety for children, that's something that Roblox has traditionally hung their hat on: is that they have all these tools and, and systems in place to protect children. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to try and compete in that demographic. Uh, for Epic and Lego is a, a perfect brand to do that, and um, it's it's um, it, it's a natural fit for the whole idea of UGC and creators and um, looping those that audience into your ecosystem. You know, Fortnite already has a creator mode. You stack the Legos on top of it; like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Lego, not Legos, though. Just to be excuse clear. me. I, know, I noticed that Maria did the same. That's <laughs> no, just Legos I, using, but Lego is no, it not Legos no. when it's no, a multiple no, no. Lego? Is it Lego well, pieces? It depends what side of the Atlantic you are, but it's you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on your side of the Atlantic, David. Well, then you're, well, then you're the one in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I am trying to make my English more British. <laughs> Clearly, a failing. In this. Sorry, Matt. Sorry, that was mean of me. <laughs> That's okay. But, no, no, I, no offense taken. I, I really like the comparison with, with Roblox. And I think that the partnership with Lego is a competitive advantage for Epic because people who are not very familiar with gaming are familiar with Lego. My mom doesn't know anything about games, but she knows Lego because sure. I used to ask her all the time to buy me some. And maybe that will help with if if parents who are not very aware of the gaming worlds by their children asking if they can join the Lego metaverse. Maybe parents know the brand and will feel more comfortable in allowing them. And perhaps even because they're used to paying for Lego in real life, maybe the barrier to spend will also be lower if you're spending yep. Lego for your children online. Yeah, it's, a, it's a trusted brand and you spend more money with a trusted brand. If you, if you think that... Uh, Epic, who want to build the metaverse, that's sort of their North Star, that's everything lined up to that, have, I guess, three choices. You either evolve front, you either evolve Fortnite, 
Uh, but that has limit, you know, already that's culturally a certain thing. It's the sort of thing you associate with 20-year-old, 30-year-old boys or something, I don't know. But, you know, it's certainly culturally one thing. It's maybe a bit of a push to expect that to extend to be the metaverse, even though it's as hugely popular. Mm-hmm. And then they have another decision, which was we can start something brand new. But that's hard, you know, it's hard to build an IP, even with infinite resources. Uh, oh, the third thing is you can sort of stand on the shoulders of giants. So Lego is, what an amazing starting point to do that. So it feels like a a smart move that feels, Lego feels them like a much better fit for the metaverse than Fortnite for me, or something brand new that it's just hard to get go from a standing start, I would imagine. Oh, that's such an interesting point. Yeah. I think I already made a mental categorization of what Fortnite is and the brand doesn't attract me anymore because that's, mm. I, I imagine it, it's these dances that teenagers and children are doing on YouTube and it's very hard to win. I don't know. It just, I've categorized Fortnite as a game for young people that mm-hmm. I would, and I know that's not true. I know there's plenty of adults that engage with the game. But then thinking about Lego, I know a lot of adults that still buy Lego and they have now the power to spend because they're quite expensive. So it's almost become a, a hobby, as an expensive hobby for an adult to have, to indulge when you were a child, you couldn't buy it because it was quite expensive. But now as an adult, you have the purchasing power for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel Lego is attracting me more with how I categorize the type of fun that I'm going to get. Yeah, I mean, we have yeah. Lego in our office, if that gives you any indication uh, yeah. of the age same, range. Same here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that that's probably a good starting point for building a new metaverse, is building on the brand of Lego. And I don't think it's necessarily building, I don't think it's necessarily block building. I don't think that's what mm-hmm. it will be. I think it will just be more themed like Lego. And as Matt says, probably leans into Lego is UGC, um, which seems like a good fit. The other thing I was going to say is about the raise. And I always like trying to figure out when you hear a number like 2 billion, it's, it's what does that get you? And the, the, the mass, the, uh, the mass that I always do is I imagine that it costs, let's say a hundred thousand dollars per person per year, like to, as a, you know, a rough ballpark. So at the risk of getting my mass wrong here, I think that works out at 20,000 person years worth of money. So, yeah, so let's so let's imagine that let's imagine you spend half of that on marketing. So now there's only ten thousand uh, person years. Are you with me so far? Mm-hmm. And then let's imagine that you build the metaverse over ten years. That's a team of a thousand people over ten years. That's what that pays for. So, and what is GTA? GTA is about a thousand people. So, uh, you know, the team size. So, sort of comparable with that. I mean, I guess that's right. But, you know, when you look at that $2 billion, then you just see it as a number and go, oh, it sounds like a large amount. But it's enormous if it's to build a Lego metaverse. I mean, maybe that's what it takes. I'm not suggesting it's easy to do, but it's just a lot. If it's really spent on the production of of that, then it's just like I can't think of anything bigger that's uh, that's been built. That is such a great breakdown. I wow. was trying to picture how much two billion. I've never had two billion in my life. Never. So I guess, no, I'm one. sorry to announce this. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so I I struggle to even picture owning that money. What what does it pay for? 
Uh, yeah, that's that's really interesting, David. So I think it's um, if they're really spending it on production, then they really got a long lot of people to get that right to build something very rich. I mean, I'd love to know. I wonder what size uh, Roblox the production team is on that. I doubt it's a thousand mm. people. I don't mm. know. Well, it's one thousand plus everyone else that currently works but, at Epic. Uh, Correct. I mean, but they're not saying, oh, I don't know. You know, they're not new hires necessarily, but I'm just saying it's just, either way, it's an enormous team. Yeah. And I think one, one thing that we haven't spoken about is that the two billion, it was actually one billion from Sony mm -hmm. and one billion from Kirkby, which is the investment company behind Lego. So Sony getting involved with one billion investment sounds like they've hedged their bet on. Yeah, I don't think that um, maybe they feel that, I mean, I don't think that, I don't normally see Sony as, a, I see them more as an electronics company than a network company. Japanese companies don't tend to be a net, you know, I think that I would give Epic a greater chance of creating the metaverse than Sony, because I think Sony's expertise is not in uh, those sort of networked uh, universes. I mean, PlayStation Home maybe a while ago, but um, you know that that was about as close as they got. So, if I were Sony, maybe you have a decision as to whether or not you put money into PlayStation or whether or not you put money into a company that stands a better chance of building the metaverse. No disrespect for anybody working at Sony, but I, I guess Epic has a better track record of building that kind of thing. It's also not the first round of investment that Sony has put into Epic, as no, I recall. Right. Um, and maybe it's um, <clears throat> uh, there's a couple reasons. Like, I think Sony Music was one of the previous investors, and so Fortnite is sort of a, an outlet for them to promote their artists, uh, perhaps to promote their movie IPs. Um, and you know, as we saw with the Bungie acquisition. There's a desire on Sony's part to have these multiplayer experiences that they that are not locked into the Game Pass ecosystem. Um, so maybe there's a few other reasons as well. Yeah, and also not a bad investment, I guess yeah. you would you would imagine that Epic. Um, I mean, they're not publicly listed, but you would imagine that their private share prices increase. Their value is increasing over time, right? Certainly. So it's not it's not spending money; it's investing money for for Sony. Yeah, and it also feels that Epic maybe has a, a head start as well because they already have a good collection of the Epic online services. They have experience, they have experience sure. teams that have built a distribution product via their launcher. And I know a lot of games out there that choose to integrate with Epic online services instead of building their own game game services, even, you know, player data. Uh, so working with someone that has a track record that has already done this successfully. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. The um, who? What are the companies that are going to build the metaverse? I mean, who are the people that are likely to do it? You would say the maybe, and and I, you know, metaverse means lots of things, to different people. But I mean, I would say if you think that it, metaverse, we're kind of seeing it right now in Roblox and Minecraft. People spending a lot of time in line on Fortnite. So I would say it's likely one of those companies that stand the best chance. I don't think it's going to come from nowhere. Think is going to come from people we know. So, so you would say that Epic are one of maybe five that stand a chance to uh, build the metaverse or the meta a metaverse that is popular. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about. Uh, I think I saw a, an article this morning that Meta 
announced that in their metaverse they're taking a cut 40 percent or something like that from creators yeah. it was almost 50 yeah. percent. oh it's crazy it's like i think 47 47 and a half absolutely yeah. tone deaf oh we, we should have <laughs> i could have gone into this one but i mean everybody else in web3 is saying that yeah, we'll take five ten percent and uh, there's meta looking to take 50 just absolutely tone deaf about what's going on in the industry uh there we go. I'll go on record as saying I, I think I've already said, but I really hope it's not meta that uh, creates the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. We already have, uh, you know, Apple in a lawsuit because the 30% is too high. Yes. And then meta goes, oh, we can get more than that. <laughs> it's outrageous. Yeah. And, and Epic already has maybe some, a reputation within game dev that they take lower cuts, for example, and so you prefer to put your game on Epic? Yeah, you want to be on that platform? They're, they're all for open standards. You know, yeah. they're, they're fighting Apple to create open uh, distribution platforms. And they're, you know, I think that they are a very fair company. I mean, they'll, they'll commit, you know, do things to be commercially successful, but they'll, that includes dropping the fee to distribute the game down to, what is it, 8% on the Epic Store? You know, so it, usually their moves are in the favors of they're developer friendly, right? Mm. Compared to Meta, as you say, doing 48%. Absolute bananas. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry, Meta, if you're hearing. I know. You know, I'm a Bernie Bridges here. No, um, no, it's a fair, it's a fair assessment. It's what we're all thinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, Maria, can I, can I quickly return to an earlier topic? This will be quick, I promise. Uh, yeah. So, okay, if we're talking about American English versus English, <laughs> English, if it's Lego and not Legos, shouldn't it be math and not maths? Oh, uh, oh you see. I'm that guy that tries to correct people and then digs myself into a hole. I mean, you uh, said maths earlier, and I was like, what is that? <laughs> you know, it's uh, let me come back to you next week with exactly okay. why both my answers are correct there. Get the Oxford <laughs> English Dictionary and exactly. let me know. When I, when I'm I, just kidding. But. <laughs> no, when I first moved to, to England from Portugal, I actually bought a grammar book to try to have better grammar because uh -huh. I never really learned it uh, formally. And then... I swear, about half the book was about exceptions. So they tell me a rule and then a few pages of all of the words that are exceptions. It's very a, complicated. It's a, it's a mess of a language. Uh, uh, just let you know that like most Americans, and I'm assuming most Brits, also did not know much grammar. Probably still don't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not unique to people no. who don't speak I'm gonna, I'm going to stop language. being a pedant on this podcast. It's, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't put me in a good light. You're you're meant to be the professor. You're not just carrying all, on your reputation. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I appreciate. I'm a stickler for grammar, so I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so, just yeah. Last last thing on on the Lego on the Lego metaverse. I, when I was reading this, I just started going into my deep space imagination, and I was imagining myself in this big empty room in a virtual space. I had my little map of the Lego, and then I could go walk and pick up the pieces and build this structure in this room. And there are two great things about it. It cost me less than it actually costs, hopefully, to buy an actual <laughs> Lego set because they are eye-watering expensive that I currently don't make. And also, you don't require house space to keep your constructions. You just do it, and then you don't have to dust it because it gathers a lot of dust. 
Hey, I hope you're getting this, Tim Sweeney. We're getting the metaverse <laughs> all planned out by Maria here. This is what this is what well, the people want. <laughs> only only costs five hundred million for my ideas. It's okay. <laughs> oh, that's pretty this good. Is, this is why they took building out of Fortnite so they could replace it with Legos. There you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just question, Matt. If you could build something in Lego in this metaverse, what would it be? You have five seconds to answer. Oh my goodness! I don't know uh, anything. Like, uh, <laughs> so probably some like massive building or tower of some kind. Like, I'm not very creative off the top. Of my head. Okay, you classic. To think okay. about this. Yeah, like a large building. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> David, what would you will? Uh, you know, I had 10 seconds more to think about yeah. that. <laughs> I still got nothing. No, I think uh, I would build a enormous sort of marble one. Do you know what I'm talking about? I like watching those contraptions on YouTube where the marble oh, starts at the beginning. Right. Oh, the way through. like a Rube Goldberg machine? Yeah, there you go. And sometimes yeah. I see people doing that in Minecraft with carts. Right, anyway, I don't know. I'm not sure it's a great idea. Uh, you but know what? I would, I would make a... I would make my cat out of Legos. That's what I would Aww. do. Oh, there you go. That's but you can make your, your corgi. Wholesome. I could do wholesome. that too, yeah. What about you, Maria? You've had 30 seconds now. Oh, I would definitely build an enormous red panda, and then hopefully I can customize <laughs> it with some kind of fuzzy fur, and it has haptic feelings, and then every day I could go in my metaverse and hug a red panda. That's really soft. <laughs> oh. Surprisingly specific. I know. <laughs> you just knew that. <laughs> Had I thought about this? I don't a know. <laughs> all right and then <laughs> mini clip yes. um yeah pivoting away from web, web browser games they launched miniclip.com on 2001 and we've had an episode reminiscing on what mini clip games we played and i think their current plan is that they're going to keep this the the website in its current format until summer of this year. Yes, we're in 20, 2022, we are, to this year. So very soon they're going to pivot to um, to mobile games and the website is going to become for news and information about the company. Yeah, to me, I mean, that isn't a huge surprise. I mean, well, I, I, maybe I should look this up, but I would imagine I'd be surprised if the revenue from a browser was anything more than single digits these days percentage? I mean, I, I mean, sure they would. They were the go-to. Them and Congregate, I guess, were the go-to for flash games back in the day. But that's not what people are playing, right? They've all moved to mobile, and uh, maybe that's easier to monetize as well. So, you know, it's. I guess they. What games are they keeping online? They're keeping Agario and uh, maybe April Pool. Pool, yeah. yeah okay. Those two, so, yeah. So, yeah, I think they're just focusing their energy on mobile. That makes sense to me. Yeah, well, I think Congregate will become one of the only web well, browser it, platforms out there. Didn't, you know, this is a poorly researched segment, but I think Congregate, <laughs> didn't they move all, all the way to mobile? Do they have much of a web presence anymore? I yeah, thought I, Congregate was making a blockchain play. I thought yeah, they, no, they I are. They, they're that doing direction. that. I just, I think that I'd be surprised if Congregate putting in a lot of energy into their browser games these days either. And I thought that they'd move right across to mobile, but hey, the 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 playing field's wide open to, for browser games. Nobody's making them anymore. <laughs> I visited their website, their their browser game website. Who who Congregate? For Congregate, or? yeah. Oh yeah, and, yeah. It's still and, there. Okay, all right. So <laughs> I just got it wrong. But I didn't actually play a game, so maybe link out to the to the store. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I mean it's a. Um, 
I, I think I see that a lot of Miniclip seems to be spending a lot of energy on mobile, have done for a while, a lot of acquisitions in mobile, some of which they announce, some of which they don't. I know some of the ones that they've acquired but haven't announced, which seems to be their way of doing things. And then there's bigger companies with Ilion, um, that they make a bubble shooter game, which was massive, right, in terms of mm. DAU. So I think that they are doing a lot in inorganic in growth, i.e., you know, acquiring companies, uh, which seems to be their MO. And they seem to be focusing on getting players rather than necessarily getting revenue. I think the idea being that they can move players around because they've got such a high DAU from games like uh, April Pool that they can move uh, players from game to game and save on some UA costs. And some people mm. I know in the mini clip family seem to say, tell me that works really well. So, um, yeah, and not too much of a surprise that they're doubling down on mobile. I just tried a congregate game and it does work. So, it does work? Yeah, so <laughs> okay. they'll, they'll take okay. maybe almost the full market of web hey. browser games. Maybe they will, yeah. whatever's left. Yeah, it, it must be be very small revenue if Miniclip is ready to not even maintain it and move on full to, to mobile. Yeah, although ironically, uh, blockchain games are generally being built in browser. I mean, right. most, most, right? Because distribution is a problem. Can't put it on the Steam, can't put it on the app stores, uh, can't put it on PlayStation stores, etc. So most, a lot of stuff going back to browser and it's interesting speaking to Unity and saying, hey, how's your browser version of Unity? <laughs> Nobody's asked us that for 10 years, and now everyone's asking about it. You know? Interesting, yeah. And yeah, it, but it's I think... not um, – uh, sorry, Maria, I was going to say, it, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a pivot, right? Like going from browser games to mobile games, like the, there was a you know a little while back, there was the, the push into instant games, which to me doesn't seem like too dissimilar from browser games, really. Um, so – makes a lot of sense to me as an outside observer yeah and i believe miniclip did an announcement that they're not anti-nft i think their announcement was that they're watching the space and so maybe in the future they'll get into it but they're not in a rush to jump into the market and lead it so perhaps that's why they're okay to move away from the browser games yeah, I, I mean, I think that we, we talked about it earlier, didn't we? But I, I think it's a perfectly valid strategy for incumbent companies with, with successful franchises to say, look, we're just going to wait to see who figures this out, the blockchain stuff. And we'll, in the meantime, we'll just keep building Call of Duty and FIFA and you know other enormous franchises. And when, we, when it becomes clear who really understands this stuff, then we'll throw good money at acquiring that company, much in the same as Activision did when they bought King. A few years ago, so I think that I don't think it's a poor strategy for to to wait to see um, which companies figure it out in the blockchain space. Yeah, and I think Tencent has a majority stake in Miniclip. Yeah, and I think they're fully owned, aren't they? Are fully yeah. owned. Okay, so. and they saw their domestic games market revenue go down. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is also part of Tencent's strategy to expand and have such a big company like Miniclip that ex is experienced, has a long-running history, to dive into mobile? No, I think that, I mean, that's a podcast in itself, and also there's there's better uh, experts on Tencent than me, but I think that a lot of what Tencent 
are trying to do is diversify everything, uh, you know, in terms of genre, but also in terms of geography, so that you're not, so that as a company, they're not susceptible to changes in policy in the East, which is why they own the majority of uh, Epic, all of Epic, I forget. No, not all of Epic, of course no. not. We're just talking about that. But, but uh, you know, have a foothold in Sumo, in, you know, they wholly own Sumo and, you know, some pretty big... Riot Games, uh, Supercell. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I think you could say it's the mother of all spread bets. Ge- geographically, <laughs> category, <laughs> everything. And I'm sure... And I think they sort of leave those companies alone just to... Yeah, um, that's my understanding. Yeah. Um, but um, so, I mean, I don't think... I don't think Miniclips makes up a big enough part of Tencent for it to be Tencent strategy. I think it's just one part of the spread bet, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely makes sense. And I was wondering, Matt, you know, from with your product manager hat on, um, uh, and I was reading an interview of Miniclips CEO where he was talking about how they don't focus on monetizing the game. I think David mentioned it a bit earlier on in his opinion that they focus on getting a lot of players and having great retention metrics. And so they're playing the really long game. They've been around for 21 years or so. So they can afford the they can afford the weight. And they're not looking to just get the max revenue that they can out of a short amount of space. Well, what do you think about this from a product management perspective? Um, well, I mean, I'm not super familiar with their games, but it seems like they're all relatively like casual, small experiences. Um, so usually the way that those get monetized is through ads. Um, I can't speak for Miniclips specific, specifically. I don't know if they use ad monetization, but that seems like a good fit for what you were just describing. And, um, you know, to to link it back to our Tencent discussion, they're sort of known for come, stay, and then pay, right? That's their strategy, quote unquote. So you come, you stick around for a while, enjoy the game, and then eventually we'll get you to convert to a payer. Um, and, you know, that strategy makes sense to me. Um but um, yeah, I mean, the cross promotion point is 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 valid, like keeping players in your ecosystem. And especially if you're doing an ad monetization model, you're cycling them through the games, but they're also viewing ads in all of the games. So I could see that possibly working. I don't I don't know what they're what Miniclip is doing for monetization. But yeah, I mean, I, mean yeah. I, I had a conversation with Saad about it. I hope, it, I hope it's not confidential. It's one of these. <laughs> um, so is the CEO, and it, I, so I had a conversation with him about. So, well, one thing is about uh, network LTV: the idea that you acquire somebody in one game and then you move them yeah. around, and yeah. so you can't just look at the LTV from one game that you've acquired them into. You have to look at the the network of games that they play, which is one thing, and it's it's easy to make them things add up. The UA get a positive return on ad spend if you look at network LTV and not just LTV. That's one thing. The other thing was, um, yeah, the the bit the SAR told me was, I was asking him about payback windows. So I don't know what your payback windows guys are on your, on your mobile games, but, you know, uh, three, six, nine, 12 months, I guess, you know, 12 months on is the outside of which where you would expect, you would hope to see a return on the ad spend, right? Just to be clear, what... Whereas is um, and he he was saying to me that no I'm happy to have a negative ROAS. I said well that's just you losing money isn't it? Why would, why would you do that? You know um, his point was that it's brand building 
So he's happy to mm. lose money on uh, getting a million people in because now you've got a set of people playing it and it starts to become a thing. It's like uh, his, it, it, it's brand advertising in the same way as advertising your game on the side of a buses. Now you've got a million people playing it and it's a thing. And I just never thought of it like that. I've, I've always thought of it as, hey, you've got to make sure that if you spend money on an ad, then you'll get a positive return on that after some period of time. And he appeared to have a different attitude to that. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if that's borne out in the numbers, but it was a different way of thinking about things. That's interesting. Um, I, I've I've thought of that in, in more like multiplayer and PvP con- contexts where like, having a bunch of players has value in and of itself because it looks like the community is active and there's a bunch of people invested in a certain game. I've not thought about it from the context of the type of games that Miniclip is is making, but that's really interesting. And then to your point about payback windows, I've actually seen like two, three year payback Oof. windows um, in mobile at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's actually not surprising to me. Right, right. Yeah, I haven't fully heard about negative payback windows. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it may be, I mean, when you get to pass a year, then it's quite hard to predict what's going to happen after a year. I mean, all sorts of things. You know, the, we've had IDFA that's happened. Do, do you know what I mean? Sure. It's a long yeah. period of time to be confident in your ability to see return. So the further out you go, I think the more risky it comes. So maybe you take a more holistic view and it's just about building critical mass in a game because you think that once you get to critical mass, whatever that is, then um, then cool things start to happen. <laughs> That's a bit vague, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> well, it does it does feel with a cross promotion and bringing a lot of players in and keeping in keeping them in their ecosystem that Miniclip is potentially particularly ready to survive in a post IDFA world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're probably better. The nature of their games is probably better for. Oh, Idea, they could suffer IDFA better than most. Yeah, yeah exactly, okay. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they'll probably be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and on a happy note, Miniclip just opened a studio in Portugal. Oh, there you go. That's your home country, right? It is. Portugal is a great country. So if you want some beach weather, I, I didn't get paid by Miniclip to say this, by the way, <laughs> but I'm doing publicity to my country. Great place to live in. Is very it, good. Very good choice, Miniclip. Uh, I, I, everything I hear about Portugal is good. Uh, well, I obviously visited it. It's a very nice place in the world. Um, did they acquire a studio or did they just set some, must have been something that they acquired? I think they just set, they set just, something up. Yeah, just set something up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Portugal is quite investment friendly for in okay. international com- countries cool well that takes us to the end of the episode yeah i mean we were going to talk a little bit about uh take two and odd sort of financial mechanical things like what are the convertible notes and that kind of stuff but uh Maybe maybe that's one for Aaron, actually. He get you know, that's the sort of thing that gets him excited, isn't it? <laughs> well, but now he talked about it. Do so it, David, David did the, the home David did the homework and now I think he's sad that he's not going to be able to flex and show off uh, his homework efforts. So oh, we we have five minutes left. We can talk about it. Uh oh, I haven't got that much to say about it. It's like there's not even much to it, right? They they are getting a loan because they can't quite have enough money to buy Zynga. 
Zynga, they're buying Zynga is $13 billion and they're looking for, let me see, like about three, is it? 2.9? 2.7, yeah. Okay, so they're just getting a loan that would be turned into shares at some point later so they got enough money to buy Zynga. Uh, I I think that's all that is. But uh, yeah, go on. Do you think it was planned that they would? They knew that they would have to take out. It seems like a huge loan. It's more than the the raise that that yeah, Epic got. Yeah, it, that's yeah. That's a, that's a that's a good point. I guess that their market cap is 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 big and can sustain that, and it all adds up. Truthfully, I, I've never worked at that part of the that high up in a big public company to figure out how all that stuff works. It's just another world to me. But, uh, you know, I did do a little research. It's a loan in order to buy some shares later. It's quite a simple idea, I think. Yeah, I assume they can default on the loan if it's a loan. Well, if they default on it, that's a good question. And I'm glad you asked, Maria, because I also looked that up. Ah, well. (laughs) (laughs) That if the company goes bankrupt, then they're first in line to get paid back. So it's a special kind of loan. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they sell all their air on shares and that pays for the $3 billion that they've, <laughs> you know, all their office furniture gets sold off to pay off. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how that stuff works. And also I've got a feeling that somebody that's made it this far through the podcast is now listening to me talk about something I don't really understand. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> the financial engineering section of the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go, everyone. David's homework. Um, evidence, <laughs> evidence presented. Well, thank you very much for joining Matt and David. Hey, and it was fun. Cheers. If you are a listener or you're watching on YouTube and you think about what would you build in your Lego metaverse, you can join us on the Navic Discord and share. I'm very curious. <laughs> I'm wondering if you can beat F- Fuzzy Red Panda. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, you're giving people more than 10 seconds to think about it as yeah. well. <laughs> big big sure tower. So. Big tower. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure to keep someone that. can come up with something better than large building. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thanks for joining. And we'll see you next week in the next episode. Bye, thanks, everyone. Maria. Bye, thanks. Bye. See you, Matt.